chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm thrilled to have Lori Sturgill on the show today. Lori is a CIO and a St. Louis CIO Orbi Award recipient for 2022. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. Well, Lori, I am so delighted to have you on the Something Extra podcast today. You and I just recently met, and I have to give a shout out to the Orbi Awards and Inspire CIO, because that's how you and I crossed paths. And, you know, I'll just tell our listeners, Lori is a finalist for the 2022 Orbi Awards, and we're really excited And that. I'm sure this will air after the award ceremony, but I just want you to know, Lori, we're all rooting for you at Technology Partners. So good luck with that. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. So tell me a little bit. I know that you went to school at Evangel in Springfield, but you you grew up, I think, in a town close to there. Tell me a little bit about your growing up, and then I have a few questions for you. Absolutely. So I had the privilege of growing up in a small rural town outside of Springfield. It's called Seymour. At the time, it was a little town of about 1500. It's where everyone knows your name. And it was just a close-knit community. My family had a business there. And it was a three-generation business that I had the privilege of being able to work and learn about business, learn about leadership, learn about responsibilities and accountability through that. And working alongside of not only my grandparents, but my parents. And so that was something that I think really had an significant influence on my leadership roles, my styles, and getting me to where I'm at today. Growing up, I was a member of the local Baptist church, and that's where my dad was also a deacon. So very involved there in church activities and social activities and going and learning and, you know, those circles of friends where you can be really embedded and entrenched in the positive things. Because in a small town, sometimes there's not always a lot of things to offer. So church kind of kept us busy and out of trouble. 
In school, I was very active. I was an athlete. I like loved to run. I was a basketball player, volleyball player, softball player. I was in the DECA, the BETA, you know, all of the clubs, again, trying to stay active. And those social aspects gave me opportunities to be with my friends and to connect. And then also to explore experiences beyond the small town, going to some of the conventions and things were always fun. But you know, again, I think some of the leadership came from the activities in school, the clubs that I was a part of, the sports I was a part of, obviously learning the foundations and learning about leadership and teamwork. Those, again, all go with you through life. And it's a foundation that you can build upon and, again, made me better, made me who I am and helped me achieve and get to where I'm at today. Lori, uh, I I absolutely love that. You and I have a lot more in common than I thought we did because I grew up in a small town too. And, you know, the ability to do a lot of different things. I mean, I look back on it. I I was in everything. I was in every club. I was <laughs> did music, not as much on the sports side, but I look back on that. My dad had his own business. So I watched him as I was growing up, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, him being an entrepreneur and how hard he worked and work ethic. I too was very involved in our small little country church. Again, you know, there's common elements there of having community having activities, getting to explore a lot of different things, right? I mean, being able to do that. My mom's mantra was an idle mind is the devil's workshop. <laughs> so she made 100% sure I did not have one second of idle time, which as an adult, I've kind of had to kind of rewind that a little bit because it's okay sometimes to have some idle time and to get some rest, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being still is a good thing sometimes to be reflective in that. But uh, we have a lot in common there, Lori, I did not know. But I know that um, this is funny because like, now what was your parents and your grandparents' business? What was that business? So it started out, my grandparents, they had a home and auto store. And then when my parents took over the business and bought it from my grandmother in the early 80s, they turned it and and also added flooring and tile hardware, small engine. Then my dad partnered and built the first car wash with an automatic in town. And then they expanded on that to uh, mini storage. So it was, again, much like your father, an entrepreneur. And my mother was right there with him, partnering and working. And I have two sisters, an older and a younger one. And so all three of us were expected to help. We all played a role in the business in some way. We always joke with my parents today is because every winter over Christmas break, you knew we didn't get to do anything except end of year inventory. And you sit in with gloves and hats on, counting one by one. But those are good memories. And, you know, it, again, it taught you responsibility and an appreciation for what my parents did to be able to provide for us. Mm hmm. Teamwork, you know, I mean, just oh my goodness, so many lessons there. <clears throat> so many lessons. But I know that at the age of 14, you went to Mercy as a candy striper. 
So I was interested in that. Now, what took you to Mercy? Because I was thinking, well, maybe she had a mom that was a nurse, or maybe you had a family member that was in healthcare, but it doesn't sound like you, that was the precipice for it. What what drove you to want to be a candy striper at the age of 14? So I think multiple things. I've just always had a passion for helping others and caring for people. I loved to ride the church bus when my dad would drive it to go around and pick up the elderly in the morning. And I couldn't wait for the next stop so I could jump off and run to the door and help them back out to the bus. Same way in reverse going home. And then probably when I was about uh, 10, my grandfather had a heart attack and he was in the hospital off and on multiple times. So I got exposed to that going up there frequently with my mom and sitting for hours and watching what the people do and just saw them being able to make a difference in the lives of someone else. And so pairing that with my desire to help others and my love for people and just my passions, I decided that I wanted to try being a candy striper to get exposed to that in any way that I could. So going up there and volunteering, it exposed me to many areas of the hospital. I was in admitting and I was in discharge. I was in transport. I got to work in the pediatric unit and the nursery with the babies. But I think the thing that had the biggest impression on me was when I got to go to administration and deliver flowers and the mail from for the executive teams. And I would go back there and I would hear and I would see and I was just, you know, so impressed and the things that I saw just immediately stuck with me. And I thought, this is where I want to be someday. I want to be up here and be in this role. And over time, that came to fruition. It sure did. That's a perfect segue (laughs) for us to now talk about your career, because you've had an amazing, amazing career starting out as that candy striper, but then out of college, and you got both your bachelor's and your master's from Evangel, but starting out out of college, you went to Mercy, and I think you were a cardiac tech, I think, but I counted up, Lori, you've had 11 roles (laughs) while you were at Mercy in 28 years, so, you know, basically every two and a half years, you're moving to, to something else, and I think, you know, I... I'm really interested in that because, and I'm always curious, is that because you were seeking something new or is it because you would do a role and somebody would notice something in you and say, Lori, why don't you consider coming over here to this role? I mean, obviously you're very adaptable to change. You're very agile, Lori, because otherwise you would not be in 11 roles in 28 years. But what was that mainly? Was it mainly you raising your hand or people tapping you on the shoulder or both? Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. I think the majority of time, hard work, perseverance, taking on tasks that maybe some of the other people didn't want to do, going above and beyond, willing to do more. Those things obviously get noticed, right, by leaders. And being in that position now, I appreciate that from people. But I think you know, really dreaming about my future and having that positive attitude and the hard work and the perseverance and being open to change, just like you said, is what helped me to to get there. So anytime that somebody started talking to me about an open position or I saw something that I thought would help me, I wasn't afraid to reach out and say, hey, 
who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Like, oh my goodness, I, I hadn't even thought about you. Are you interested? You know, so not being afraid to take those opportunities and take that change and help to build your dream up off of those. So again, I think it was just a combination of both those opportunities presenting themselves, people seeking me out because they felt like I was a a right fit for the the role for their teams, but they knew also that I would do well and do the job and do it well, or at least to the best of my abilities. Yeah, I love that. You know, there was so much, so much in what you just said, the adaptability, um, the willingness to continue to learn, you know, knowing that even if it was something that you'd not done before, that you had an acumen for learning. And, you know, so I think that's really important. I listened to an interview or something that you did. I can't remember exactly where I saw this, Lori, but you did talk about relationships. And relationships being key. And you just said that you would reach out to people and, you know, what are you looking for exactly? And how can I help you? And then you would probably do that when you saw something posted. But, you know, here's advice that you had given. You said, build bridges, don't burn them. How important is that? If there are young people or even not so young people listening right now, how important is that, that statement right there, Lori? I think it's extremely important because I can't tell you how many times a path that I had long ago has crossed back over with a leader or a peer again down the road. In fact, that's why I'm, I'm where I'm at today. A peer that I'd worked with previously at Mercy had come before me here and then circled back when this position opened and reached out and said, hey, we have this CIO position. We think you'd be a great fit. Would you consider it? So a prime example of why you should never burn bridges, but build relationships and build bridges. And that I think is an extremely important element of what helped me to make my dreams become reality. And, you know, just don't ever give up on it. But the the bridges are important because those bridges get you to where you want to go. Mm, Yeah, such great advice. Well, so, you know, you just said it, but now you are the CIO. After those 11 roles at Mercy, you got tapped on the shoulder to come over to St. Francis and Cape to be their CIO. You know, can I ask you this? I mean, what if there's somebody out there that is thinking, you know, that's really, I want to be in that top spot, you know, technology wise, how would you advise them? What would you say to them? And I would love also for you to answer this question, Lori, because I'm just thinking you come into this role. What did you do? Answer this question first. What did you do in the first hundred days? I'm going to be like they would do with the president, you know, (laughs) your first hundred days in office. I mean, how did you go about it? How did you start the process of, you know, really understanding where things were and where you guys needed to go? Yeah. So again, I felt like the most important thing for me to do was to come in and get to know the people, right? You have to know players, you have to know the personalities, you have to know what are their their challenges and the hurdles, uh, what are the strategic initiatives and the goals, getting your arms around the organization and their expectations and your new leadership. But one of the things as far as the leader for the areas I was responsible for was just trying to go back and spend time being a good listener and sitting down and talking through what were some of their concerns. Let's get that one pushed out of the way, right? Because change is hard. Change is not something that everybody just adapts to as easily as I might 
coming in as a new leader. So just taking that time to build the relationships and listen and learn, and then developing a strategy, developing a roadmap, developing what we think will take us to the next level, to the next phase, and help us to accomplish those strategic goals and the performance goals and the overarching goals of the organization that's going to help us propel and change the way that we deliver healthcare to our patients so that they decide to choose us. So there's a lot of things. There's not just one thing, I think, that goes into that, but that was kind of how I started that process, building the relationships, getting to know people, listening and learning uh, would probably be the top things. And then just developing that path so that everybody is clear on where we're going and we all understand what it's going to take and how we're going to get there. I mean, but you're doing that in conjunction with the business, right? Because, you know, I think that is the key for technology to to walk alongside the business and make sure that you're delivering on the business objectives, right? Technology can be a huge, what I want to call it a force multiplier (laughs) as it relates to getting the business where they need to go. But I mean, is there a specific way that you go about that? I mean, do you have... I'm sure you have a seat at the table, you know, in the boardroom. And how do you ensure that the technology roadmap is running and walking beside what the business is trying to accomplish? Absolutely, we do. So we obviously have our executive team and we meet weekly. We talk about what those strategic goals are, if they're shifting or changing or something needs to pause then I'm a part of those conversations and I can go back and communicate that to my leadership team. So that's all very important. It's also important that we have our governance around all of that too, right? So that everybody's, it's on the same page. It's not always just about IT. There's so many times that it involves other departments and other areas of the hospital. So we can't be out here and be siloed and be a single player. It involves, again, the whole team. So taking that through that process that we've developed and that we know works, and if if we hit a bump, then we overcome that, we work through it. If we see that something needs to change because of another, maybe a strategic goal or something that has been revised or revamped, then we work through that. Maybe it's a new solution. Maybe it's just changing a direction. Maybe it's pausing, but we absolutely have to have those processes and safety stops in place so that we are successful, not only as the IT part of the organization, but holistically. Again, it's for our patients, right? It's for the community we serve that the technology is going to be delivering something that's valuable, not only to the colleagues and the providers and the operational colleagues, but uh, also to our patients and community. Very good. Well, we do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Lori Sturgill on the Something Extra podcast. In business, the tendency is to seek out partners who are bigger, faster, stronger. When it comes to IT, you should be looking for smarter, faster, better. That's just what you'll find with the talented technologists at Technology Partners. Our experts develop custom solutions to tackle your most complex challenges, all to simplify your processes in the smartest, most efficient way possible. The time to be swift and nimble starts now. Go to technologypartners.net slash solutions and see what's possible. 
Welcome back to the Something Extra podcast with Lori Stargell. So, Lori, we've talked about so many things here, but I just, you know, you're now in this top role. I just would love, um, and before I do that, I don't want to embarrass you, but I do know a few things about you that you don't know that I know. And this is the way that people really describe you. Generally caring, diplomatic, fair leader, great listener. And we've already talked about listening. You you just said that. That's what you did when you first came in. Makes you one of the best leaders to work with. You embrace diversity. You're well organized. You communicate complicated messages with ease. You're dedicated. You're an excellent problem solver. And you go above and beyond. So this is the way that people have described you. But I wanted to ask you, what? how do you personally lead how, what would you consider to be your leadership style? I think there's 15 different leadership styles, but what would you, how do you lead, Lori? You know, I try to be that, the leader, I think that is a servant leader. And when I say that to me, I think our employees have to come first. Sometimes we get caught up in the goals and the strategies and the metrics or the bottom line, the financial aspect of it. But I think we have to be where we want to see our colleagues do more than just show up and clock in and work their eight hours, be productive and leave. So as a leader, I think it's about developing a culture where they are empowered and they can thrive. They can be developed. They have a career ladder, but it also creates that culture where they can perform at their best. So me as a leader, I come in and I try to see our teams grow and to make sure that they're in a healthy state so that we can deliver technology and solutions and quality, better outcomes and and more. But then we must, I think, ensure that, I guess just that serving our people and not the people serving us as leaders. But as a leader, I try to remove barriers for them. I try to be value-driven in what we do and making difficult decisions along with them, getting input, listening clearly, and then communicating back to them clearly, trying to keep them informed. I think transparency is huge as a leader. Uh, something that I try to to do as much as possible. You know, share as much information because that's all valuable for them as they're trying to come up with solutions or um, mitigate obstacles for our end users and our patients. So I think as a leader, though, we have to also keep everyone highly accountable and to the same standards and be fair and make sure that there's that emotional awareness in there. And I guess last is always try to lead by example because people are always watching us. They're always listening to us, even when we don't think they are. So being that leader that is just leading by example is something I've always strived to do, not perfect at it. And, you know, I'm, I also expose my vulnerabilities I think letting them see that we're human, we have a title on our badge, but that title does not dictate or determine who we are. It's our actions. But last, I think as a leader, I try to engage and build teams and celebrate and acknowledge all of the wins. People like to be recognized. They like to feel valued. And that's super important to me. Yeah. I love everything that you just said, Lori. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking, you know, you and I have talked offline about this, just the talent pipeline. And you've got to pay attention to your culture because people have so many choices today and they don't have to 
in fact, they won't work in a toxic culture because they have more choices, right? Um, But everything you just said is about building that culture that is attractive for people to want to come there. And then everything you've said about listening, empowering them is about engagement. You know, you want to, you want to grow your people. What is that old saying? Grow your people. What, what will it cost you if you don't, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. kind of thing. And that's um, absolutely I mean, it is. Yeah, it is so, so true. So, I mean, what you have described there is, to me, the perfect formula for the attraction as well as the engagement. And, and to your point, it's all about the people. I mean, earlier on in my career, and I'll just be vulnerable here since we're talking about vulnerability, you know, it was more about the when I was in my 20s, you know, it was more about the what I could accomplish. And today, I honestly can say it's about the who I can impact. It's more become from the what to the who. So I just, I love everything that you just said. But let's talk about this because we, we've talked a little bit about this offline. You know, I think the, the last report that I read, Lori, only 25% of women really make it to that top spot in technology, the CIO role. Um, you know, what kind of advice would you give to you know, a woman that's maybe earlier in her career that like you said, you know, I want to be in that, that suite that's talking about patients and how we can deliver better healthcare. What would you say to that woman in terms of advice and how she can maybe chart that path? You know, I don't know if I really had a chart or a path, but it goes back to what I said early. I never gave up on my dreams. I kept dreaming and I kept working hard. And each rung that I accomplished on that ladder, I would look ahead to see, okay, what's next? What do I need to accomplish next so that I'm qualified or I have the experience needed to get to the next role? And over time, you know, once I got a little bit more involved in the IT side of healthcare, then I really found out, okay, this is really the passion I have. This is really the direction I want to go. And then obviously leading people, that was another passion I identified. And so I just continued to blend and develop myself. My motto for me personally, and I even tell this to my leaders on my teams now, is if you stop learning, you stop growing. And so I held that close and personal. And whether it was a new certification, whether it was a webinar, whether it was getting another degree, whatever I could do to add another tool to my tool belt, that was only going to help enable me on that journey. And so that's, I guess, probably some of the things that I would say was the critical understanding of filling those gaps so that you can accomplish what you want to, to become that leader, to become that CIO, Uh, building those relationships. I can't tell you how valuable the relationships are along the way. Um, Whether you're at church, whether you're at a social event, whether you're at a conference, whether you are with a vendor. I've had some of the the vendors even provide opportunities for me to learn and grow. So you don't ever know what is behind that closed door if you don't open it. So that would be my biggest recommendation is don't be afraid. Take fear out of the equation and charge forward full steam and always be yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great words of advice. Okay, well, I'm going to take it back a little bit further because, you know, the talent pipeline is a big concern. I don't know one CIO that is not concerned about this right now. You know, the demand for technology, we are seeing just go through the roof. The supply is a little lacking, the talent pool. So <clears throat> my personal belief is that we have to start sooner getting, you know, I'm not just talking about females, but I'm also talking about males as well. Just looking at technology as a viable career, you know, exposing them earlier. Our our tagline is together, we are harnessing the power of technology to improve the world. You know, and I really do believe that. You're certainly doing that in healthcare. Technology is helping improve patient outcomes and delivering better better treatments, you know, for the patients. But how do you have ideas, Lori, and how we can inspire younger people to even think like what you were thinking earlier on? I mean, do you do you have ideas on this? Because I, I feel like we need to be, it's the elephant in the room that we really do need to be addressing. Absolutely. And it's, Great question because I just had this conversation last week with one of the vendors, the consulting firms that we work with. But some of the things that I was talking to them about that had been ideas that just kind of come across my mind is we have to get out there sooner with these school age children. We have to get out and help them to understand what the career opportunities are and to help them to really decide, you know, what are your passions? What do you want to truly be when you grow up? Because, you know, when we were all little, all of the girls wanted to be a nurse and a ballerina and a dancer, and all of the boys wanted to be a police officer and a fireman and an astronaut, right? So really understanding what those careers are about, what they entail, and does that align with you and your personality and your passions? And then helping them develop that roadmap at a younger age to achieve that as a long-term career goal. So that starts with your high school classes, right? I didn't have that when I was in high school. I had a a list of your general education classes you're required to teach. And if you wanted to, to get your college prep, then you needed to do these classes. But there was not ever that real focus to where you could do something extra that's going to drive you to be able to accomplish the passions or the career goals that you want to set for yourself. And so I just think that's really important is working with them and developing them at a young age. So one of the ideas that I I had and I used to do this a long ago was as leaders of the organization, we would go into one of the elementary schools and we would help tutor and we would help mentor just talk to these kids about what we do in a day's life at work and let them ask questions and just bounce their ideas and their thoughts off of us. And so that that kind of gets those wheels turning for them. Uh, we've also done days that they could come in and just shadow us for an hour or so, just see internal to your organization. Is it scary? Is it really cool? Is it something that they think they would excel in or they want to see more? So just, I think, providing those opportunities and partnering or pairing young kids with leaders and executives or people in their communities that can help them map that out and understand from you know maybe elementary junior high to high school to college and then beyond and 
then it goes back, I think, to those relationships because you've built that relationship with them. They're going to have a trust in you. They're going to lean on you. You'll be a mentor to them. And who knows, they may be coming to work for you someday. So you're you're populating your workforce before you realize what you've really done. It will hopefully develop somebody very sound and solid for the next leader to hire. Yeah, so much packed in there, Lori. But as you were talking, I was just thinking about that famous quote, and I don't want to say who it was because I don't remember right now, but you can't be what you can't see. You can't be what you can't see. And so I think as leaders, I do think it is part our responsibility to make sure that we are out there and we take those opportunities to go into the high schools and, and speak and, and even the elementary. So, yeah, I mean, much bigger conversation. You and I could probably do a whole podcast on this. I think robotics, exposing kids to robotics, you know, all the robotic teams. I think that is a excellent way to get mm-hmm. them exposed earlier and say, this is really cool. This is cool. Yeah. You know, look, I can program this robot to do, you know, things like that, I think are really important. I love, I love that. All all of those ideas that you have. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then we're going to talk about something extra. So you've basically been in healthcare your whole entire career uh, Mm -hmm. and you've been in technology. So how have you seen healthcare change? Lori, how have you seen technology change and evolve to keep up with that pace of change? And then what do you think is around the horizon that we all need to be paying attention to as it relates to technology and healthcare? Healthcare has changed a lot since I started. I remember, you know, back in the cardiac intensive care unit days, the year there was one computer and it was massive, you know, massive. were massive you know almost three feet tall dot matrix printer and you know that was only used for lab orders and for charging of patient supplies that's all we use the computers for back then and then as things started to evolve then we started with you know online or electronic scheduling and billing and things just started to take off from there. And beyond that, then we get into meaningful use and you have your EHRs. But technology is just so huge now in the, the realm of patient care. I talk often to my teams and to our executive that 99% of what we do every day with patient care has something technology attached to that. So there's really no way around health healthcare without technology the way that it's been, I guess, the way it's evolved today. Can we still provide care without technology? Absolutely. You know, we have to have those downtime procedures, but it's simplified it. It has expedited it. um, And it has provided us with more insight on how we can solution or cure health issues, right? And illnesses. But, you know, I think technology is something that is going to continue to drive healthcare and drive outcomes, drive quality, drive patient experience. And as it continues to digitalize, then we'll see AI really taking the the lead. I think it already is starting, we're starting to see that progress and take the front and take the lead in healthcare. And I think AI is going to be something super special to be able to help us deliver better, more efficient care and continue to have that quality and have the outcomes. But 
it's going to give us better data and better insight and better results. So excited to see what comes with that because, you know, that get that kind of gets into those robotics and stuff you were talking about with these kiddos and getting them exposed to stuff like that. And one of my colleagues the other day said one of their kids, they're, I think they were eighth grade, said that they're already doing data analytics courses. And so that was really surprising. Yes, surprising to me that at that young of an age, the school that they are in, that they're starting to to bring this into the classrooms and teach it. So, yeah, that is so fantastic to hear because you and I have talked about that. And data analytics is going and is playing a huge role with healthcare right now and, you know, getting to the predictive analytics to your point with the artificial intelligence and that. So that is really exciting. I I think, you know, our schools need to be aligned, you know, with what the future (laughs) is going to look like and make sure that they're preparing our kids. So I love hearing that. Well, let me ask you this. This is called something extra, Lori. What do you believe is the something extra that every leader needs? You know, I might cheat just a little bit and say there's three something extras because it's just kind of the three things that I feel have been in my recipe for success as a leader. And when I tend to kind of back off or let the steam down on them, then I don't feel that I see things throttling or moving forward as fast. But, you know, leaders, you have to be out in front and you have to be visible and you have to be, again, that role model for your people but I think the, the recipe that I've decided is the best for, for the best outcomes is three ingredients of courage and compassion and love. And these are the things that I view as something that leaders need a little extra something of in order to make a difference in the lives of others and to help our teams realize that these three somethings are what our lives need to be a statement of so that they can realize they can pertain to any job in any industry, right? So if we model them as leaders and we teach them and our teams replicate them, then leaders for many generations to come will perpetuate and deliver. And it starts with us, today's leaders, right? I think being a leader, it's obviously demanding and it can require a lot of courage. So courage can be what makes the difference in getting it right with your teams, in my opinion. For, for many people who look at someone, I think, with courage, they can see that as a, a very admirable trait, right, or good quality in people. So what you see is, again, it's not a title. Rather, it's the person and it's their actions like we talked about earlier. So courage gives people that ability to make decisions and act and do what they may to stand up for what they believe in and not back down from others. And that's what our teams need. They need that support. They need that action from us as leader because it helps us to stand for what we believe and maneuvering our way through as a leader. Um, you know, it's not for the weak and it can be tough because it's required for us to lead people who are going to gain confidence that they need so that they will follow us as leaders and so that they will rise and overcome obstacles. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're yeah, going to have so obstacles of their own along the way and sure. life's hard for them. So, I think showing that courage, the compassion, everybody, you know, needs a little bit of extra compassion. And I think that's what, again, brings that culture and engagement along for us as leaders and having successful and thriving teams, helping them to feel valued and cared about and appreciated. We all want that in our lives, right? But it also, I think, helping them to feel understood 
raises a level of inspiration and they'll bring that and it will be reflected in the role that they provide here in your organization. I think they become more productive too as well. But the love kind of goes hand in hand with that. You know, everyone likes to feel loved and appreciated. I've actually handed out a copy of the book, Love Works. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's by Joel Manby. Joel Manby. And all of my leaders have a copy. They've read it. We've talked about it. Um, I've handed it out to various other leaders throughout my time in a leadership role. But it's, you know, just demonstrating that style of developing and nurturing a flourishing life and organization by leading with love and how it truly works and has a positive impact. So I see everyone and I lead and struggle at very time as various times too and various complexities, but we all have that in our professional and personal life and work life balance isn't easy, but I feel it is my job as a leader to care and be compassionate and encourage and motivate uh, my colleagues to a point that they love their job, they love their organization, they love our mission, and together we can help shape a culture that's going to help to sustain us into perpetuity. Yeah, that is beautiful, Lori. That is so beautiful. Uh, and I would love to expound on that. I I just wrote something this weekend. I said, I think I'm going to be on this journey, though, of leading with love and learning to do it better for the rest of my journey. You know, I mean, every year I am faced with situations where I am saying, what does that really mean? And how do I do that? better. Boy, you and I are so aligned on that point. Uh, and I can't wait to talk to you more about that. But maybe we'll do a episode two, <laughs> where we talk about what it means to lead with love. But Lori, what are you most excited about right now? How can our listeners get involved? Uh, maybe you've got some roles there at St. Francis that you need to fill, or maybe you are speaking at a hymns event. What, what are you excited about? And how can our listeners get involved? You know, we have so much going on here. There's a lot of irons in our fire, and a lot of opportunities to see new things evolve and provide new solutions. And just really working through that with my teams and seeing them bring those things to fruition, doing great things. We have some really focused uh, strategic priorities that I'm excited about that I think are going to be absolute game changers for us going into the next calendar year. So, Telehealth, population health, health plans, cybersecurity, you know, that's another whole topic that we could go off on. But digitalizing health is something that, you know, we're very passionate about. We just, I'm very excited over the fact we just uh, made the Chime Most Wired recognition list this year for level eight in ambulatory and acute. So that's something that we are still celebrating because it's fresh and we will continue to have a significant amount of focus on that. That's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Well, Lori, it has been so much fun doing this episode with you. I know how busy you are, but I appreciate you so much making the time to be on the show today. Well, it was a, a pleasure and I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.